President Reveley. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here for Office Hours. We're thrilled to have you here at and Office Hours. pregnant with anticipation of what so you're going to ask we. me. <laughs> so are we. I'm glad it's with anticipation because otherwise <laughs> we'd have a lot more questions well, for you. Well, that would be yeah. newsworthy at least. That's right. Yeah, we could get a lot of listeners that right. way. So this is, this is you are the second president we've had on the podcast, right? Oh, we really? had the ACLU president. That's right, the national. Right, race. so we're not oh, as good. overawed as other podcasts yeah. might be. So you're going to have to I'm bring it. I'm a known commodity. You're <laughs> a known commodity, yeah. We want to make sure that you're on, you know, tip-top form here. Can't um, rest on that your I can't laurels. guarantee you for a morning at the General Assembly, but yes, the, yes. So you mentioned that. What what were you doing up there? Uh, visiting. You visit lots of legislators in pursuit of truth, justice, and money, mm -hmm. and the avoidance of burdensome regulation. Oh, are there some on the table? There are always some on the table, but most of them. Die before the session ends. Is some some may get through. We'll see. Sure. And on the other side is you. And and how did you do? Did you protect us up there? I did my best. All right. Well, thank I you. Did my best. And we, we wanted to take you back to, uh, not all the way to your roots, but uh, we've noticed that you clerked for Justice William Brennan. Yeah, I sure did. What's yeah. he like? Was he like? One of the world's nicest, most engaging, most humane beings. An utter delight to mm. work for and to be with. Mm. He's one of those people who treated everybody the same, from the guys who swept the floor to his colleagues on the court. And that was not true of the justice with the chambers next door, William O. Douglas. Uh -huh who loved humanity in the abstract, but tended to be an utter jackass toward people one-on-one. <laughs> uh, -on -one. Okay. That was, so not, you're, you're that happy was not Bill Brennan. You're happy not to be clerking next door. Yeah, and Douglas only had one clerk a year. Oh I wow. clerked when the justices only had two clerks. Wow. Was, instead of today's four. And poor Douglas's clerk, one human being, mm -hmm. uh, had to eat lunch at his desk, worked interminably and was treated like a dog. Wow. That's terrible. Because, uh, you know, the clerks have their own special soundproof dining room where mm -hmm. you can get together and talk about the cases. Mm -hmm. But Douglas's poor clerk could never come because wow. he had to eat at his desk. And, and, and if there was only two clerks for Justice Brennan, who even then must have been one of the star justices, you must have been some law student to get that job. You know, it's one of those situations where you have to have the tickets to get in the pool but then lightning has to strike mm -hmm. because far more kids have the tickets than get anointed. So you you uh, have to recognize that good fortune was an element in the mix. Okay, so and you weren't such a good student. I was a good student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew it. Uh, okay, you might not be able to answer this, but there's a rumor that you are responsible for the Goldberg v. Kelly decision. Well, I am the clerk who worked on that decision. Okay. So, uh, Did you write that gorgeous decision? Brennan let Richard Cooper and me write decisions, and then he would minister to them. So, yeah, I wrote that one. And uh, little did I know uh, how much impact 
uh, Goldberg v. Kelly would have. Interesting. Because uh, I think the justice had some sense of it, but it just seemed fundamentally fair to Richard and me. And I think in a way it was fundamentally fair, but it didn't definitely complicated administrative law and the regulatory process. At that time, did you know that you would ultimately end up in the academy? Well, my first my first year out of law school, I was 25, because I'd gone right straight from college. Uh, a fellow named Dan Metter, who had been on the faculty at Virginia, had just gone to the University of Alabama as dean, mm-hmm. and he wanted to get uh, want to take Alabama out of the ditch and into the mainstream of American law schools. So he was recruiting young guys from Virginia to come help. Mm-hmm. And I bit, went down there, had an absolutely wonderful time. And uh, it was during that year that I made a trip to the faculty mailroom one day in the fall and saw that I had a small envelope, really small envelope, from the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court uh-huh. from mm-hmm. Brahmins Chambers, and I thought, "Oh, great, a <laughs> flushogram!" <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't a flushogram. Um, so I particularly had a wonderful time that year because early in the fall, I knew I had a clerkship with Brennan and be doing that the following year. Sounds like <laughs> life there. is good for you. <laughs> life was good, and. Um, I found teaching was a lot harder than I had expected it to be. I thought going in, well, how hard can it be to teach? I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, Jeff Bellin uh, can do it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you think, you know, come on. And, it, and I have a vivid memory of that first day when I was teaching. I went in and I realized they were all just sitting there looking at me, waiting for me to do something. And very quickly I learned if you didn't do something pretty engaging, substantively, and in terms of how you presented the material, uh, the demeanor evidence indicated that many were checking out. Yeah, already. yeah. so let, let's just be clear yeah. on this. You were a student at UVA, yeah. you graduate, and you're the next kind of half, you know, a couple months later, you're teaching, you're teaching public it. international law at the Alabama Law School. Exactly. That's, that's quite and the predicament. Some of the kids were materially older than I. But, you know, people in Alabama were really polite, mm-hmm. deferential in mm-hmm. that area. Yeah, they figured you, you must know what but you're doing because here you are. Yeah, as I a mean, professor. you must know what you're doing. I mean, why else would you be standing <laughs> there? <laughs> right. I really liked Alabama and I really liked the dean. I had planned after Brennan to go back and mm-hmm. help him see if something could be done with Alabama. And I had an offer to go teach at Virginia. But I thought, you know, if you're going to teach law students, most of them are going to practice, you really ought to have some concrete sense of what practicing law means. And at that point, all I had was a six weeks I'd spent clerking one summer. Um, and my family hadn't had any lawyers in it for hundred years. So I, plus, and this may have had an undue influence on me, I was talking to other recruiters for law schools who came to the court looking for bodies, 
and the kid who came from Stanford was very young and an absolute arrogant twerp. Hmm. And I told him I was trying to decide whether I ought to practice for a while or go right back into teaching. And he said, oh, you don't want to practice. <laughs> you just don't do that. That's not what really good law schools do. You, without ritual contamination by the actual practice, you go right into teaching. And I thought, what an insufferable little twerp. <laughs> this, um, is, this is my alma mater, Stanford, by the way. Yeah. But well, I, I I'm, I'm sure he was a sport. <laughs> I'm sure most of the faculty at Stanford were perfectly normal, if supremely bright and accomplished people. <laughs> this is their recruiter they're sending out. Don't, don't dirty yourself with the practice of law. Yeah, he was, he was not a good person to yeah. send. So I decided what the hell I'm going to practice. And I thought I'd do it for know a couple of years um started practicing it was basically 24 7 and what's I, I have a thought so i i was at a law firm for a little while and i always thought that the, it had become so much about making money yeah. and billable hours that it seemed like it's even changed. the partners were and that's what i wondered like partners was, was are there now a time slaves, when it was easy? slaves to the computers which are tracking them in real time in every meaningful measure from a profit-making standpoint. In the old regime in which um, as you got older and older, you were expected to do more and more for the bar, for the community, for the state. Now you're expected to keep logging the billables, Interesting. hustling the business. It's a, it's a change profession and not for the better. Mm -hmm. I think, to digress, two worst things that have happened to the legal profession in my life were first when the American lawyer began publishing profits per partner. Uh -huh. mm. Before that, you did not talk about money outside the firm, and you didn't talk about it much in the firm. It just wasn't done. So you didn't have any idea what other people were earning. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as profits per partner began to be published, erroneously often at first, then this blood lust set in, and and I guess the very human instinct to want not to be paid less than someone else set in, and the whole profession began focusing maniacally on how do we drive the profits per partner up. I had just become managing partner of Hunt Williams when the American lawyer started publishing profits per partner. And it was, it was really bad. So how long did you stay in that position, given that change? Uh, managing partner, mm -hmm. I did that for nine years. Wow. Um, and then law school rankings in U.S. News and World Report. That's the, the second. The second. Truly the work of the devil, because that mm -hmm. focused law schools on all, almost all the wrong things. So, but we skipped over the the law school dean uh, period, yeah. and, and you don't have to talk about that. Uh, but I'm curious about how you would compare these three jobs: the managing partner of a big law firm, yeah. mm -hmm. the law school dean, and the university president. They got a lot of similarities, but they are very different jobs. Uh, I mean, in a law firm, the owners, the partners, the participating partners, are even more frisky than tenured faculty <laughs> or students. 
Just be very uh, specific when you say frisky. Quite frisky. Mm-hmm. I mean, assured of their own divinity, mm-hmm. clothed with many views, which they are willing to share. Mm. Uh, and when they're doing extremely well, extremely aware they're doing extremely well. And also in a law for everybody understands that if they're not contributing to the economic progress of the firm, Mm -hmm. it won't succeed. Mm. Whereas in the academic community, the faculty is much less focused on how do we sustain this place financially Mm. on the assumption that someone will, it'll happen. Right. In a law firm, the partners do do not suffer from that illusion. And, of course, one of the things we've got to get across in the academy is no one should suffer from that illusion. We right. all need to help. But, right. but, but the faculty also don't share in the profits of the, the school. That is the flip side. Right. There are no profits <laughs> to <laughs> right. speak They of. might care more. By definition, it's just a matter of how much money are you yeah. losing. They, they also don't have to pay the debts. That's true. Yeah, yeah no, right. so that, that is a material difference. But otherwise, partners, tenured faculty, associates, students, Interesting. Mm. Uh, staff crucial in both instances to mm-hmm. sustaining the mission, mm-hmm. uh, a real concern about excellence, a real concern about delivering the goods to whomever you're trying to deliver them on a, at, on a campus, it's the students, but it's also your colleagues a- and the campus community and the alumni body. Uh, in a law firm, it's much simpler. That's the clients. Right. But in all three instances, you got to know how to lead. You got to know how to surround yourself with really good people. You got to be willing to delegate. You got to be willing to. Com- you got to be able to communicate. Um, and you have to want to do the job. Mm-hmm. In other words, these jobs are too hard and too complicated for people who get in them and say. Gosh, I don't really want to do this. Yeah, this is so. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is the Yule log ceremony, yeah. which I, I, I looked into. And you know, I think of you as this very uh, like uh, sincere and important uh, scholar and uh, law school dean, and you go over. And, and there's this tradition that I r- had to read it twice because I didn't believe that it was true. Uh, but tell us a little about that ceremony and, and kind of uh, ha- your experience with it. Well, it's a wonderful ceremony, and it's got all sorts of moving pieces, and it culminates in two really huge logs be- being brought into the Wren building and put on this enormous fireplace mm. at the east end of the Wren, which is only lit at Yule log time. And then everyone, as they come in, is given a sprig of holly to load with their cares and anxieties and throw in the fire, and they go up the chimney. In the meantime, the gentlemen of the college are singing. It's just, but that is preceded by a pretty long uh, ceremony with a lot of music, with some, with the major religious traditions saluted, and with the president dressed up as Santa Claus reading The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Right. Oh, it's yeah. funny because I thought you weren't even going to mention that. That That's the part that jumped out at me. The that's rest a great of it part. And I, the first time I did it, uh, some of my children were there. And my third, we got four children, three boys and a girl. 
My third son, who's very sweet, said afterwards that I had mangled it badly in some <laughs> instances <laughs> and that I needed to I need to put my act together. You need to uh -oh. practice for next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I called roast beast, <laughs> roast beef. I mean, I just okay. I made some unfortunate errors, and but let me tell you, by the time you do it ten times, <laughs> you have got that baby nailed. Down. You Down. got it nailed. Well, I have to say, the way you're presenting now, you are a natural speaker and a natural performer i can imagine that this is actually a very good part for you so i think if you there's an element of ham here yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, plus the undergraduates undergraduates have been your law students were wonderful to me the undergraduates have been bonzo in terms of being wonderful and they they put me on t-shirts and you know there's a t-shirt right. every year oh yeah i've declined the couple of proposed designs. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do let me say okay or not. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, I roll with it. And I think there might be a fake Twitter account in your name. Is that, do you know? Yeah, there that? is a fake Twitter account in my name. I don't do Twitter, but I am told there is a fake Twitter account. Right, I think account. it's very popular. <laughs> Probably because uh, people think it's the they, real uh, you. They, uh, I don't know, I am told, done a really good job of kind of catching my idiom and intonation. Right. Well, so I so that's been fun. I mean, I think if if you were seriously uh, in conflict with the students, yeah. it would be oh, not a very engaging way to operate. And every now and then you have to really come down hard. Right. I mean, I was uh, not at all receptive to the 14 undergraduates who shouted down me. Director of the ACLU in September and came mm -hmm. down on that really. Mm -hmm. Made very clear that was not to happen again. Um, and so far it hadn't, and I don't think it will again. Um, but we're now completely prepared to deal with it were it to happen. And we didn't, you know, that kind of thing just doesn't happen at William and Mary. So they weren't expecting it on that occasion. I was out of town. And, uh, but it did, and it created a real problem yeah. for a while. Well, I, I wanted to follow up about this. I think um, there's a sense, even since I graduated college, which was almost 10 years ago, that where if you were just a child. I know. Enjoy it. I <laughs> know. Enjoy it. I know. Well, I only have about eight years left before I need to be managing partner by your timeline. <laughs> well, you are going to have to get on the stick in that regard. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, probably not happening yeah. for me, is it? Well, check your mailbox when yeah. you go downstairs. I'll check my mailbox. I'll look for a little slip. From right. See if you got a little slip from the court. Yeah, from the court. Yeah, sure. I've had to turn them down a couple <laughs> of times. So <laughs> Alabama is also called. Alabama is also called. I mean, people want me. People <laughs> no, want me. Yeah, oh, I have story. a question. So even it feels as though when I was in college, it felt like people, like maybe there was less of an emphasis on inclusion, which there was. was problematic. Absolutely. But there was also less uh, intellectual coddling of the students, or at least fear, I think, on the part of the faculty yeah. about um, about creating what are called, I think, triggers. Um, yeah. And I, I, I feel very torn because on one hand, it's important to me to honor yeah. the the sentiment behind wanting more and real inclusion and yet on the other it's important 
that people have a, a space, particularly in college, where they can explore different ideas fiercely, passionately, right. but also in an intellectually rigorous way. And I'm wondering, yeah. as somebody who's uh, now an outgoing president of a university, how do you balance those two? With, with extreme difficulty these days. I mean, it is true that I think all good schools are making a really enormous effort to be both more diverse and also more inclusive. If all you are is diverse, that has some significance because it means you're giving people who previously didn't have it an opportunity, say at William & Mary, to get a spur of education and a very significant credential. That matters. But if that's all diversity means, it's a pretty uh, pale shadow of what it ought to be. Mm-hmm. The diversity part's pretty easy. That's a matter of finding kids smart enough to come and giving them enough aid often to make it possible. Um, inclusion, I'm finding, is diabolically hard mm-hmm. to get. Mm-hmm. Um, Partly because people are so reluctant, really, to talk to one another with any measure of candor. If any school ought to be able to figure out how to deal better with the inclusion aspect, it's a place like William and Mary, but we're still scrambling hard. And why do you say that? Because we're we're smaller and we have a good community. Smaller. We got a powerful ethos of community, and there is a real community here. Uh, Our scale is human. And uh, our ethos is uh, we get along with one another and we actually care about one another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, one of my mottos I like from a former dean of admission here was William and Mary colon no jerks here. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, we got some jackasses, but we don't have many. And the ethos here is not to be... Uh, objectionable find to agree uh, to disagree strenuously but do it in a civil fashion if some of our students view is that they cannot hear expressed and they are entitled to suppress views that challenge some of their core values we got to try help them get over that and understand that's not the way you go about mm-hmm. it. You engage one another's views sympathetically and try to understand them. And then if you don't agree with them, you combat them with cogent, powerful arguments. arguments. And we, we had, not so we by had trying to suppress them. Right. We had the ACLU president on earlier in the earlier podcast, and she had some interesting thoughts on this, and, and many along the same lines. But she made an interesting point that I hadn't thought as much about, which was, on the one hand, you have to have the rigorous academic debate. On the other hand, the inclusion piece is also very important, yeah. and, and that if you get the inclusion piece right, then the academic debate part won't be as much of a problem because it's That's the right. students that are already feeling marginalized that are seeing the speaker as another piece of the uh, problem. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's absolutely right, though the kids who shouted down Claire Castanaga uh, in September were expressing a uh, point of view that said, 
what Clara had done in Charlottesville was so antithetical to mm-hmm. their views of racial inclusion mm-hmm. that she should not be allowed even to speak mm-hmm. or after she was shouted down mm-hmm. to talk to students who came up to her informally and just wanted to engage her. And those students wanted to ask her some hard questions. And they too were shouted down. I mean, that it's just really complicated. I mean, we even saw it just recently on the the demonstration in the Sunken Garden on the main campus regarding abortion. Yeah, this is a pro-life display. Yeah, the pro-life display um, where some of the kids felt um, that display was so antithetical to their core values that it had to be removed. Mm. And... um, both on both sides of the issue, mm-hmm. I read some student comment in the Flathead that they really didn't want expressed or to hear or to tolerate mm-hmm. either pro-life or the uh, sanctity of women's bodies arguments. It's not, you know, unacceptable. Mm. Just to even hear values. it. Uh-huh. Don't want them expressed. So well, you can't. Right. Well, it sounds like it sounds like um, your argument is against the tradition of censorship that yeah. um, emerges on both sides of political both sides. Um, of political debates, and uh, that that censorship is a greater threat to one's ability to promote well, inclusion or their own beliefs. People <laughs> began to censor any views that they thought were antithetical to that most cherished views. You can't run a civil society and pretty soon you can't run a democracy. And we're, you know, we, I think at the moment we're pretty badly out of whack as in terms of civil society and the workings of our uh, democracy. And I can understand that frustration because I think in a world where it feels as though everyone's shouting it can be a scary thing to not shout back for fear that you get swallowed up by whatever side is louder. So I understand how, in some ways, yeah. the instinct is to participate in the same way at the same volume as your opponents. But as you said, the outcome is oftentimes a kind of censorship. You're not persuading anybody. That's right. And you're not doing yourself any good. Right. Uh, and you're just encouraging more of the same. Right. Uh, so this is your your running out of your presidency term here. I am indeed. And you were joking with us before the podcast, but but I think people want to know what's next for you. Well, here's the way I'm thinking. <laughs> I will have worked uh, for 50 straight years. Uh, Pretty good. No time off, except, you know, you take a week or two in the summer. I never took a sabbatical, um, having, even though I created them at Hunt Williams. <laughs> and I certainly am taking a sabbatical here. And I, uh, so, 50 straight years. Hard work. Yeah. Uh, initially, what I think I want to do is emulate Ferdinand the Bull, if you ever read that child's book. 
Oh, you all do. You'll have to remind yeah, me. You'll have you to will, you will get, get, get for it in the bowl. It's worth reading. All this bowl wanted to do is a bowl bred for the ring, perfect for the ring. He didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to sit under a tree and smell the flowers. Mm. So I want to try sitting under a tree and smelling the flowers. And when I say it that, my wife, Helen, says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That'll last six hours. Right. <laughs> I want to give it a few more hours than that. But bo- bottom line, after 50 years of working and doing all sorts of things, I will have no felt need to have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll still be heavily engaged on two boards, sharing them. Um, I got to deal with all the papers that have accumulated since I became president and get them ready for archives. Call out the things I should never have saved that need to be immediately shredded. (laughs) (laughs) And call out the others that'll go in a pile that says, don't look at them for 25 years, wait till I'm gone. Um, then I may, I may want to teach a course here. Yeah, at the law school or undergrad. Yeah, at the law school. Oh, stay tuned, law school. That's your faculty home, correct? Is the yeah, law school? Yeah. Yeah. So when I retire, I will lose my tenure and my chair, and it'll all vaporize. But um, I could teach a course. Mm-hmm. I might do some of the writing. I really thought I was good get back into writing about the war powers when I came here. I said, oh, you're leaving Hunt and Williams. You're leaving the tyranny of the billable hour. You don't have to chase clients anymore. You can have all this time. (laughs) That was a really (laughs) innocent thought. Might do that, or I might decide, wait a minute, teaching a course, writing seriously, that's work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward. You know, I used to play tennis. I used to play bridge. I used to play chess. I haven't done any of that for years. I'd like to do that again. Sounds good. At least bridge. <laughs> so I gather the rules have all changed. <laughs> uh, or the conventions have all changed. I'd like to have time just to read stuff I want to read. Right. These yeah, are things that our listeners might take for granted. Yeah, yeah. just read. I mean, yeah. I haven't had time to really sit down and read a book for huh. eons uh, that huh. I wanted to read. I mean, you can read it slowly. Right. It would be good to travel some, but yeah. I haven't done I mean, travel not for business. Right. And, uh, apparently, there are wonderful river cruises in Europe that you where you get on the boat. You don't have to change hotels. The boat just rolls along. Uh-huh. It stops. Yeah. You get off if you want. But to. you won't be in charge. Have you have to just stop where they right. stop. You can't start leading that boat. No. President Riesling. You, you will not. <laughs> don't be in try to take it over. That will be perfectly okay. <laughs> <laughs> I won't have to make any decisions. Good. And I won't, won't have to worry about whether the boat's about to sink. Do you think, no. yeah, hopefully you won't have to. Do you yeah. want to come back and reprise your role as the Grinch? Or are you going to leave that <laughs> to the new president? No, Catherine's got to learn how to read She's got to learn how to. And what do you, so what do, you, what do you have to say about our new president? Uh, do, you, do you know her? And yeah, what are your I expectations? Yeah, I And um, I think she's going to be really good. She will understand William and Mary more quickly and more thoroughly than if we'd picked a president <coughs> who'd come out of the state school system. Hmm. Because the feel of William and Mary, the history of William and Mary, the liberal arts focus is elite, private. Mm-hmm. It's no state school. We're not like any other state school, literally. Yeah. But we're not like 
private school either because we are state-owned. Mm -hmm. I think she will get Wigman and Mann. I think she will really care about Wigman and Mann. I think she knows how to lead. She has a powerful commitment to the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. So do we, ha do we have time? Uh, we have a yeah. We're going to play word association with you, if you'll okay. play. And the, the game is that we'll just say a word, yeah. and you say the first thing that comes into your mind. All right? That assumes that there's some mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. and if this doesn't work, it was all Professor Bellin's idea. Right. So. Let's, <laughs> let's start with this one. All okay. right, so we'll start with, this isn't really a word, it's kind of phrase, but William and Mary. Iconic institution. All right, are you going to do one? Yeah. Future. Future. Mm -hmm. Promising. All right. Now, just to say, for the rules of word association, there seemed to be some thinking going on. Oh, in your you can't last. think. I don't know exactly how it works, but I feel like. Well, you invented the game, so you yeah, can make it's the my rules. game. All you right, can, so you can make the rules. All right. Yeah. So here's the next one. Uh, Taylor Reevely. Old. <laughs> all right. Now you're playing by the rules. So okay. Tradition. Vital. Podcast. Never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. And then the last one, we had to have a weird one. So, Batman. Robin. Ah, oh, that's, that's too easy. Good. Yeah. Always working in teams. <laughs> right. I mean, what else can you say with Batman? That's <laughs> true. We didn't right. think that one. Yeah. Today. Also, he led in by saying, this is a weird <laughs> one. So, he sort of gave it away. McKill is always upset that I give away things. You can't give away the I don't joke. Think they it's called playing the results. You can't give away the I joke. See. I'm not really a professional. Right. Well, so thank you so much for coming on. Well, I've obviously had fun. <laughs> We've had so much fun. And I have to say, you are a, a real icon. Yeah, I was going to say a that's real a word icon. that you used. I mean, you're, you're a. A critical part of William and Mary, yeah. and it's hard to imagine the institution without you. It has been a really uh, wonderful run for me, and, and I think the school over the last ten years. And my main hope is that it keeps rolling, and that the twenty-eighth presidency is even more successful, materially more successful than the twenty-seventh and on and on and on. But meantime, I really deeply believe we're doing a great job for our students. Mm -hmm. As a student, they, I can say you are. Yeah, I mean, I think we really are delivering the goods for our students, and I think we deliver the goods for our faculty. Sure. And, uh, and also for our, at least our senior staff. So it's a great community. Well, we will miss you here in this community, but we're glad well, that you I'll won't be far. I'll still be around. Right. And you said you'll be here in the very Yeah, Dave said building. I'm somewhere in the Hickson wing. I somewhere in the Hickson wing. That's actually very nice. I Have you seen, seen it? Oh, it's yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm over here to perform with some frequency. Okay. And uh, well, maybe now that we know that you're going to be around, you can be our filler guest if oh. we ever need someone. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You'll oh, be good. sitting around under the tree like Ferdinand the Bull. Sitting we'll under the we'll tree. And I can, I can say what's it like. Emulating yeah. for an A yeah. in the ball, and you won't you won't have to worry about yeah. being president. You and I want you all whatever. I want you all to get for an A in the ball <laughs> and read it. <laughs> it's got not homework. It's not a big book. It's got Fair good enough. pictures. Fair enough. Look, I'm sold. I'm sold. Any assignment you give me, President <laughs> Reevely, I'm doing. Okay. Right. You yeah. want for an A in the ball? You're still okay. the boss. That's our interview with 
William and Mary's president, Taylor Reevely. Wow. Which, which I thought went swimmingly. Yeah. He's really a presence to behold. Yeah, a treasure of William and Mary. A real treasure. He is so good-humored. He's so wise. Yeah. He's really a but special he's, person. He's had these experiences that I think add to that, yeah. and that, that's probably where it comes It from. helps, too, that he has very cool glasses. I'm going to say that. It helps. He looks helps. the part of a wise person. He really does. Yeah. He really looks the part. If you haven't seen him, Google wearing, him. Oh, by the way, here at the podcast, wearing a full-on suit. A full suit. Yeah, and I've got you sneakers. You should see what Bella's wearing. He's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing capris. I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> So we wanted to say this. We uh, we have gotten a bunch of feedback from various listeners. Yeah. And we like that. We love it. Yeah, it's great. And, and, and don't be afraid to be honest. Yeah, tell us. We, we don't, we're kind of flying blind here. They told us to do a podcast. Could you tell? <laughs> yeah. They told us to do this. We don't know what we're doing. We really appreciate people saying, for example, someone said the end music is coming in at a volume that is ludicrous. Yeah, and not just someone. Professor Heyman told us this. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's going to cause car accidents. Yeah, so it was unsolicited feedback yeah, at that, so, so we, we know right. it's honest. Yeah, it's going to yeah, cause so you a car can accident. say what you like, but if you say what you don't like, and then we were thinking that we might even, some of it is really kind of funny or interesting. We might incorporate some of the feedback into a future yeah. show. No, we're definitely going to do that. We need more material because right. here's the thing. There are only so many people who are willing to come on as guests. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But we really do want your feedback. We have yeah. some, and we'd like to compile more. It helps us. It helps you. And ultimately, I think it makes this place better. Yeah. Make the world a better place by better sending place. us feedback. Also, uh, you mentioned guests. I'd also be open to people suggesting guests, and, and that would be really helpful because there are a lot of fascinating people in the area that mm -hmm. we could get on. Mm -hmm. And so let us know if you think there would be someone good or if you think you'd be a good guest. Yeah, won't give us your pitch. Yeah, we won't tell everybody that you said yourself sure. as a guest, but let us know, and, and we'll bring you on. Absolutely. We got nothing but time. <laughs> right, Professor Bellin? This is all I have to do. This is all yeah. you got I'm on, going I'm on, on podcast leave. You're on podcast leave. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Well, speaking of leave... We hope to see you next week with our latest episode, newest guest, and maybe some listener feedback. Yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs>